You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1169 of the Lots on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Sunday afternoon. And thank you as always for joining us on the podcast today. If you're a new listener, welcome aboard. We'll be talking about the Hawks and the Lakers today. If you're a returning listener, thanks for listening to us as always. And please, please, please subscribe to this podcast via your platform of choice, whether it be Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Today's show will break down what became a 129-121 win for the Hawks, their seventh consecutive victory as they are rolling now. The longest win streak in the Eastern Conference continues with this game. And uh, honestly, if you missed this game, you might have thought, you know, the Hawks won by eight points, kind of a home victory. But if you watched it, you will know that the Hawks came back from a 10-point deficit at the end of the third quarter. It was a 38-20 close to this contest and that the Hawks needed every bit of it to uh, win and actually somehow cover in this game. So we'll dive in now to all the context around this contest, and then we'll sort of get into the nuts and bolts of what transpired. But the big headliner outside of Atlanta will be LeBron James is actually banged up right now, missed this game for the Lakers, and he's actually going to be out for a while. He has some swelling in his knee. Um, Certainly that's uh, more of a big-picture story than a Hawks story. But the Lakers did not have their best player in this game, and the Hawks actually lost to Los Angeles about three weeks ago in L.A. by a, a pretty wide margin in that game. Of course, that was a different Hawks team, to be sure, a different Lakers team as well. But LA have lost three of the last four. With this loss, they've lost four of the last five. And uh, that's worth keeping in mind in this game. Anthony Davis was questionable, ended up playing for the Lakers. Um, the Hawks had some guys that were on the injury report as well. DeAndre Hunter was listed as questionable with some ankle discomfort. He apparently tweaked that ankle in the uh, win over the Celtics on Friday, but ended up playing in this game. And then Trey Young had some right hip soreness, ended up playing as well. Um, with those guys in the lineup, the Hawks had all of their players available once again. It's been a little bit strange actually talking about the Hawks at full strength, but they are at full strength. just hasn't happened very much in the last couple of seasons. But um, overnight, when AD was listed as questionable for the Lakers, the Hawks actually were favored by about seven and a half points in the market. According to BetOnline.ag, our sponsor on the show, it got down to like six, six and a half before tip-off, but the Hawks were favored in this game, even with some injury concerns of their own, but you know, obviously without LeBron, that swung a few points, you'd imagine, in the market. But the Hawks, honestly, are better than the Lakers right now, which is uh, weird to say, given how this, how this season started for, for Atlanta. But for me, fundamentally, the Hawks are better. You take out LeBron and also give the Hawks home court. That tells you where uh, this game was supposed to be. And I will say, again, as I mentioned a second ago, the fact the Hawks covered this game was pretty lucky. So if you laid that on the Hawks, congratulations to you on that one. But uh, at any rate, we'll dive into the game now. But the Hawks were able to uh, have that comeback and win this one. Um, at the outset, it was kind of an interesting matchup game in a lot of ways. The Lakers started small as they had been for a while now. But with no LeBron, um, it was DeAndre Hunter guarding Russell Westbrook, which is probably the right thing to do because Westbrook's still the number one guy on the perimeter as much as he's not been great this season. And then they kind of had to play Capella on Anthony Davis because there's no one else to play him in the in this spot. Kind of has some matchup stuff there. I will say AD shot the ball better than he has most of the season. He's really not been able to shoot jump shots this year. He kind of found it in this game at different times. But the Hawks did take advantage of the Lakers' lack of size a few different times. It was Collins in the first half and a Kongwu in the second half. Just some pretty easy lobs against these smaller Lakers guys. Other than, other than Davis, not a whole lot of size there for Los Angeles. 
Uh, Capella had a missed layup early in which he felt like he was probably going to get fouled and just kind of got in between it. He had some dunks, though. I think uh, because of the Akongwu madness, which was, by the way, justified, he was fantastic in the second half. I think Capella was pretty decent in this game. Just got a couple of, uh, uh, I would say, trademark Capella issues around the room at this point in time. But the Hawks trailed 17, sorry, 19 to 12 in the early going, and the Lakers scored 19 points on their first 11 possessions. So that kind of tells you the Hawks were digging out of a hole for most of the night because the L.A. was really hot in the early going. Um, John Collins was good, though, early on. He had 10 of the first 17 for the Hawks, kind of juiced their offense. Again, attacking mismatches, juicing um, just around the rim, finishing above the rim, as well as those uh, you know post-ups and push shots, etc., that John has that full arsenal around the rim. They finally got some stops mid-quarter, and then Trey Young got to the rim on tra- transition twice in a row to cut the lead down to one. There was some foul trouble stuff with Hunter getting a second foul late in the first quarter. Um, they did a pretty good job in Westbrook, I thought, in the game overall. They, probably, they, had, they had to use DeLon Wright when... Uh, when Hunter was out of the game, that was the right decision as well. They usually even used Herter on him at, at one point defensively. But actually, after all of that, Gallo hit a three for the Hawks at the end of the first quarter to go up, up by one. And the offense was really good in the first half, um, at least in the first quarter. A 131 offensive rating in the first quarter. They shot 50% from the floor and had 11 assists in that opening period. And Collins matched his season high for any quarter with 12 points in the first. Defensively, it was kind of a mess. The Lakers shot very well, but turned the ball over a lot, and we'll come back to that later on, because LA's weakness offensively this year has been their ball security. They're 25th in the league in turnovers, and that kind of reared its head at least at times in this contest. Um, going to the second quarter, the rotation was pretty similar in the way that it's been recently. A 10-man group, full units as they have been for a while. I thought coming into the day that there's at least a chance that the Hawks might punt on Lou Williams in this game. Lou has not been shy about talking about the fact that he does not enjoy afternoon games. Um, that's not even a secret. He's talked about it on the record multiple times. And the Hawks with a back-to-back on Monday. I thought they might give Lou the day off, but he, they didn't in this game. He had kind of a slow first half, was better in the second half. We'll come back to that later on. Um, defensively, the second unit was not very good, I will say. Um, but offensively, they kind of had it rolling a little bit early in the second quarter. Lou had a couple of nice passes. Um, they scored nine points in about two and a half minutes or so at the outset. Got to see some Akongwu versus Davis throughout, which is always really interesting for the young and up-and-coming guy like Akongwu going against an established big, big man star in Davis. Um, the full bench unit was actually plus one in that first stint, which you'll obviously take more often than not. Um, I thought the Hawks were, sorry, the Lakers were able to be really physical with Trey Young on and off the ball um, to the detriment of the Hawks. I thought the officiating was kind of weird. It became a story later on. I'm going to play some audio for you, actually, from Trey Young talking about Tony Brothers in some respects. But um, I thought the Lakers got some favorable whistles in the first half. Um, I said that without even a hint of bias, to be honest with you. Um, and Trey was kind of chirping at Brothers, who was the crew chief in this game. And there was a soft third foul call on John Collins. It was not a foul in my mind. Also, then Trey got a technical foul immediately arguing that call after the whistle. And it got pretty chippy in that stretch. Uh, not a lot of breaks for the Hawks late in the first half. And a 10-2 run was coming for the Lakers to close the first half. The Hawks go down by 9 at the break as a result of that. The Lakers shot 71% from the floor in the first half which clearly is uh, not what you want to see. Um, they scored about 130 points per 100 possessions. That's uh, not what you want to see either defensively. Um, for, fortunately for the Hawks, the Lakers had 11 turnovers in the first half and also shot 5 of 10 from the free throw line. So it could have been worse, honestly. If, if, I, if I tell you that team shoots 71% from the floor, they're probably going to even score more than the, than the Lakers did, but they had some peripheral issues offensively throughout this contest. I will say, though, Lakers PR shared that this was the best shooting percentage in any half for the Lakers since 2011. And the Lakers won a championship recently. They've been good for a lot of that stretch. So uh, not often do you see an opponent shoot 71% from the floor and also win a game they lost, which is uh, pretty crazy. 
Anyway, the Hawks' offense was fine, I would say, fine to good maybe in the first half. Um, they shot well from the floor, but only 4 of 13 from 3. That continued actually the entire game. But ball security was an issue in the first half. Usually the Hawks are awesome at that, and they were very good at, at it in the second half. But nine turnovers before halftime that led to 17 points for the Lakers. That kind of juiced their lead a little bit, uh, did it for Los Angeles. Trey had 16 and 6 assists in the first half. Also had five turnovers and kind of played some uh, shaky ball at times with some uh, ball security issues. Um, in fact, later in the game, um, I guess after the game, which I'll play for you later, Nate McMillan used the word emotionally drunk to refer to the Hawks at times in this game before the fourth quarter. Uh, he didn't use names or anything like that, but the turnovers were probably part of the reason why he said that, I have to say. Um, Collins was really good, had 14 points and three steals in the first half before getting his third foul. And uh, for the most part, it was pretty sloppy. Uh, it's easy to kind of overstate this too, but I think it does matter. Games at one o'clock uh, are not the norm in the NBA, and I think teams it's kind of it's kind of about who shows up first in that kind of game. And this game was kind of back and forth, so I'm not going to give all the credit to that. But there was a lot of sloppiness that maybe you can attribute somewhat to the early start and kind of the uncertainty and the weirdness of that because the Hawks do not play a lot of one o'clock games at home, and the Lakers, of course, have the 10 a.m. body clock game in Atlanta as well. All right, before we get to the second half of this game and the comeback for the Hawks in the fourth quarter, a word from our sponsors on the show today, and the first of which is Built Bar. It's the new year, and that means New Year's resolutions are in full swing. If yours is about getting fit or eating healthier, make sure you include Built Bar in that plan. Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar and maybe even better than a candy bar. Built Bar makes it easier to stick to your resolutions because it tastes so good you'll want to eat it. Unlike protein bars and some other corners of the market that can be chalky or waxy, Built Bar tastes fantastic. Sometimes it's just boring to eat healthy, and by week three of eating healthy, you might be thinking, this is just not worth it. Where is the chocolate? But with Built Bar, every bar is covered in 100% real chocolate. Here's an idea for the new year. Go to all your secret treat stashes on your home, or your pantry, or in the office, or in your car, wherever you might be hiding something sweet. Throw out all that sugary or calorie-filled treats, and replace them with Built Bars. So when you're craving a snack or a treat, you can reach for something that's absolutely healthy and tastes incredible with Built Bar. Even if you're not a huge fan of working out, you can at least eat something that tastes good and is good for you. And that way, when you enjoy a delicious Built Bar, you can almost count it as a workout. As always, there are amazing flavors to choose from, from coconut almond to peanut butter brownie, raspberry, salted caramel, mint brownie, and my personal favorite, cookies and cream. And beyond that, Built is always coming out with new limited time flavors. Check out Built.com often to see what's coming up. And right now, you can go to Built.com, use the promo code LOCKED15, and get 15% off your order with Built Bar. That's Built.com, use promo code LOCKED15, 15% off your order at Built.com. Okay, we'll dive into the second half of this game now. And uh, actually, there were some bright spots in the third quarter, despite the Hawks not being able to carry them over. It started out pretty well for Atlanta. After they went down by 11 early in the third, with Collins uh, had it going a little bit, but the defense was just kind of not getting stops. The Hawks had a 15-2 run to kind of take things from a deficit into a small lead midway through the third quarter. A couple of nice outlet passes from Trey Young to Clint Capella. The Hawks were really attacking on the on the interior, I should say, throughout this contest. The Lakers, as I mentioned before the break, kind of had a lot of issues playing small, and AD's a good defender, but they couldn't do anything with the Hawks' bigs in this game from Capella, um, getting easy dunks to Collins, doing whatever he wanted to, and then the Kongu, of course, in the second half in the fourth quarter, really taking over around the interior. It was a huge advantage for the Hawks, which they rightly took advantage of the entire way. That 15-2 run for Atlanta included 
Trey hitting a couple threes, and the Lakers got a five-second call in inbounds pass, which does not always happen. Uh, they kind of fell apart a little bit. In fact, Los Angeles did not, did not score for almost four minutes. They had only two points in like a five-and-a-half-minute period in the third quarter, and the Hawks looked to be in pretty shaky um, situation before that, and then they kind of stabilized. Of course, they would lose it a little bit later on in the third quarter, but um, I almost had forgotten to some extent that the Hawks had pushed them um, actually into the third quarter and taken the lead briefly because until I watched the game again for the second time, and I was like, oh, yeah, the, the Hawks had a pretty big run before the fourth quarter, and that happened in the third. Um, the Lakers, though, took over a little bit down the stretch. The bench checked in for the Hawks, down by five with like 2.30 to go, and that was in the middle of a run by L.A. that did not stop. Um, overall, it was a 14-3 to overall push from the Lakers to close the quarter, and that actually included a gift from Anthony Davis, who missed two, who missed two free throws in a row. It could have been even 16-3 to at that stage for um, for L.A. Tony Brothers, who was uh, definitely an active participant in this game, as they had official, actually called a double foul at one point, which is rarely called in the NBA. But um, the Hawks got one free point from Carmelo Anthony on a technical foul, but in general, it was a mess for the last, I don't know, four minutes or so of the third quarter from the starters to the bench. And really, the offense particularly when the bench came in at the end of the third quarter. It's easy to forget now because the fourth quarter, but the bench at the end of the third quarter was really bad, actually. They took five pretty shaky contested jumpers, missed all five. There was really nothing going to the rim at all. And then defensively, as they uh, often have some issues there with the perimeter guys, like you know, you know Lou playing with Bogdanovich and Gallinari is pretty flammable defensively, and that was the case at the end of the third quarter. Fortunately, that same unit was much better in the fourth. Um, a 16-5 to run by the Hawks to basically take a deficit and turn it into a lead and kind of restart the game at that point. Um, honestly, the Hawks started making some shots, finding a little bit of juice, and then the Lakers were really missing some shots as they did early in the third quarter. Okongwa to dunk, Lou got to the line, Bogey to pull up three, and then that kind of uh, stabilized things pr- pretty quickly, honestly. And they started closing out harder on shooters, and they started finding, as I said before, those lobs and dump-offs to Okongwu, who was a huge presence around the rim in the fourth quarter. They brought Trey Young back as the first starter to return. They played him with Lou. It actually kind of worked in this spot. I didn't really understand it at the time, because Lou, at least in the first three quarters, was not particularly good, but he did find it in the fourth quarter. Nate McMillan kind of pressed all the right, all the right buttons in this game. Sometimes that's just some randomness, but I thought he did a good job and you know, kind of was right in what he ended up doing throughout this contest in the fourth. And the Lakers couldn't score either. They only they only had five points in five minutes at the outset of the fourth quarter, and the Hawks were able to kind of bring things back into a coin flip game at that stage. Then there were some haymakers back and forth offensively on both sides. Trey hit a tough three, and then Lou had a nice pass to a Kongwu for a dunk. And then they had another one after that. It was actually a pretty funny moment in my mind as a basketball observer. Um, there wasn't even a, like a rhythm pass, but Kongwu had Stanley Johnson in front of him, who is you know a decent-sized human being. He's obviously like a, he's small forward-sized. But Okongwu basically just threw like a pretty soft, normal pass over the top of Johnson's head. He came down, had time to gather, and then laid it in very easily. Okongwu did, and the Lakers, again, playing small. The Hawks were able to exploit that over and over again. But the Hawks were in a timeout with about four minutes to go, up by three. And they came back at that point with Collins and Hunter. I thought Collins should have come back before that. To be honest with you, Gallinari was kind of the weak link in the fourth quarter for for the Hawks at one one point. But they they finally brought brought, brought those guys back in to the contest. And then uh, after that, though, Trey took a pretty bad three. And honestly, some of the results were pretty good at the end of the game. And I thought Trey's process 
in the second half of the fourth quarter was not particularly good. It didn't kill them, obviously, as they won the game, but he had three or four possessions where they kind of just nothing happened other than him dribbling into it, which is going to happen sometimes, but it happened a little bit too often in this stage, and then the Lakers made a three and tied the game briefly, um, which I think, um, again, might have been forgotten. It wasn't like an onslaught by the Hawks in the fourth quarter the entire way. The Lakers did kind of rally and tie it with like three minutes to go. Then there was the absurd dunk by Okongwu for the lead, his fifth dunk of the quarter, yes, Five dunks in the fourth quarter alone. Uh, a great lob. He was probably fouled uh, and threw it down with a vengeance. Just, I can't believe he, like, he caught it, honestly. It was a fantastic play by Kongwu. He dunks that. They get a stop. Then they actually give up a uh, pretty, uh, they, got, they got a pretty free possession, or at least free points, with a defensive three, three second call on the Lakers and then a step back jumper by Trey. And suddenly the Hawks go from tied to up five within about 30 seconds. That was a huge one. They give up an easy bucket to Westbrook from there, but then uh, this is the one where you know Trey I thought had a pretty terrible possession. Honestly, they used the whole they used the whole um, shot clock, but Trey just nothing happened, and it wasn't a good shot. It was contested. He missed that, and then again the Lakers did come back one more time. Malik Monk hit a three to tie the game with under two minutes to go. So the Hawks won, by, won this game by eight points. Obviously they closed out very well, but the Lakers did hang around until the two minute mark. Now from there Hunter gets to the line. Splits free throws, actually. So the Hawks are only up by one, and they don't have the ball anymore with nine seconds to go. But the Lakers just couldn't score. Um, it brutal possession for the Lakers of their own, actually, with Monk kind of hoisting a bad three. And the Hawks get the rebound, and Trey hits about a 30-footer on the right wing. Now, I will say this that process was a, was a little bit better. It was still not my favorite possession, honestly, but Westbrook kind of inexplicably played, I don't know, five feet off Trey Young. And, like, it wasn't a high-percentage shot from Trey, but that's a pretty good look from him from, like, 30 feet. He's going to make that shot a decent clip. And uh, I don't know what Russ was doing other than not being a good defender, which is the case. But that was a big shot, obviously, by Trey. Uh, actually rattled out off the backboard and then back in. So a little bit of a shooter's roll kind of stuff there from Atlanta. And then Lakers missed again. They had to foul Trey, and that was kind of the end of the game. So it was not always pretty. And, again, this is, this is a tie game with under two, under two minutes to go. So it wasn't like the Hawks just blew them away in the fourth quarter. But... The huge rally at the outset of the fourth quarter was big from the bench into the starters, but Trey coming back in, and then they closed on 8-0 run. That always helps as well. Uh, overall in the fourth quarter, the Lakers shot 7 of 22 from the floor, and it felt like it felt like that, honestly. They had been so hot the entire game, and the numbers still reflect that, but the fourth quarter was really ugly from L.A. The Hawks were 13 of 19 from the floor with no turnovers in the fourth, and uh, that's how you get to a 38-20 closing period. Offensively, the Hawks were good in this game. It wasn't like a 48-minute perfect game from Atlanta, but they had a 126 offensive rating. That is very, very good. They shot 74% on two-point shots in this game, which is uh, obviously just a ridiculous clip. Um, that kind of overcomes their 10 of 31 from three and 21 of 32 at the line. Now, even though that's bad at the free throw line, getting to the line 32 times kind of offsets that because you know while it's not great at the line itself, you're still scoring you know one point three points per possession on those free throw trips. So not it's still a decent process, just kind of some bad shot making. And actually, they were better than the Lakers were at the free throw line. Um, but they had 31 assists and did a great job in the second half with turnovers. Only three in the third quarter and none in the fourth. That is huge, overcoming some of the issues in the first half. And they had, uh, in the paint, 62 points. That's huge. And 18 fast break points. Those are all well above average for the Hawks this season and getting a lot of easy stuff. I want to say it one more time, they, they did such a good job of emphasizing what they could emphasize in this game. And Nate is sometimes a little bit prone to focus on matchup stuff, I think probably more than I would. But the clear advantage that the Hawks had in this game was on the interior, and they definitely emphasized it, and they were able to take advantage of that throughout the game. 
defensively. They came into the night actually pretty red hot defensively during the win streak. They actually were allowing about 1.06 points per possession, which is a like a top five clip in the league kind of good. Now there's some noise in there, of course, but defensively it was not quite as good. In this game, a 118 defensive rating allowed. That's a pretty bad number, but the fourth quarter was notably good. Um, the Lakers did shoot well, 54% from the floor, 43% from three in the game, but it was uh, you know in the 60s before the fourth quarter, and uh, that killed them at the line, actually. They were 12 of 23 from the free throw line, which, if you're the Lakers, has to be kicking yourself a little bit. Not that they would have won the game for sure, but uh, 52% in the line is going to get you beat sometimes. And, uh, you know, I will say, the Hawks, if you just told me the Hawks were going to do this defensively in this game, I would say they probably would have been in trouble on some level, but the offense was good enough to kind of overcome that, and they made the big plays in the fourth quarter. And clearly, an 18-point win in a period uh, kind of overcomes things because the Hawks had lost, you know, two of the three quarters before that. They were down 10, and they had to put on a show in the fourth, and they did that, and they escaped with the win as a result. All right, before we get to the, to the uh, last portion of this podcast, talking about the player uh, takeaways and the observations from this game, it were from our sponsors on the show today. Before I turn it over to the player evaluations, I do have one piece of audio to throw your way at the end of the podcast, and that is uh, Trey Young was actually asked about McMillan talking about how the Hawks were emotionally drunk. You'll hear the voice of Lauren Jabara of Bally Sports uh, on this clip I'm about to play for you, but I thought Trey's comments uh, made a lot of waves. He kind of went after Tony Brothers a little bit, talked about how he and Nate disagree a little bit as well, so pretty intriguing, and it definitely made the national round, so I wanted to play the actual audio for you. Here's Trey, and you'll hear Lauren's voice at the beginning. When you look at a team, you know, like the Lakers, I know Nate was just in here and he said he felt the first half you guys are playing, he said, emotionally drunk. Would you agree with that? And and I guess, you know, how did you like how you guys finished it out there? Uh, we can uh, agree to disagree. Me and Nate, we do that a lot. Uh, <laughs> we have, uh, I mean, it's, it's good. It's good. If everybody agrees, you and me, one of the, one of the people. So I think, uh, I think sometimes we, we disagree and I disagree with that. I think uh, my emotions my emotions with, with certain people uh, start with other people most of the time. And uh, so when Tony Brothers mentions to me how many years he's wrecked this league, I don't give a damn. So um, that just that just gets me gets me fired up in motion. And uh, I don't think I'm emotionally drunk. I'm just uh, competitive. And uh, I think it just brings the best out of me and my teammates. And uh, it ultimately did. No surprise there for me. You know, Trey is and Trey and Nate have talked about this in the past. Like, they're not going to always see to eye to eye. That's not always going to be the case. And I don't really bump too much on that. But uh, going after brothers like that might net Trey a fine, I would imagine, potentially. And I'm not saying it's going to happen for sure. But that got a lot of attention after the game. And rightly so. Anytime you kind of go uh, name an official like that, uh, going to be interesting. But I'm not the biggest fan of Tony Brothers either. So I'm on Trey's side on that one, let's just say. And uh, I thought that was at least revealing in terms of the inner workings of the team and the best player and the head coach, etc. All right, any player observations are here to close out the podcast. The bench wasn't quite as incredible as, as it has been at times, but the fourth quarter was a lot of the bench focusing there. The quietest guy on the bench was DeLon Wright in this game. Five points, had an assist, um, 14 minutes, didn't play a ton. Uh, they kind of went with Lou over him in that bench unit late, which I didn't necessarily love, but I thought DeLon was fine. It wasn't like an A-plus DeLon game, but he had a couple nice plays defensively. He was the guy they used on Russ when Hunter left the game and did a good job. Bogdanovich uh, was not great either. He had a couple big shots in the second half, so I will say that. But he was 3 of 9 from the floor and 2 of 8 from 3. 10 points, 5 rebounds, 3 assists, and a steal. I thought he was worse defensively on Sunday than he was on Friday, which is something to keep sort of keep an eye on for Monday and beyond as he recovers from that knee injury. But um, I thought Bogey was okay. He didn't shoot good. Um, oh, sorry, he didn't shoot well, I should say. Uh, but he did defend at a better level than he was pre, pre-injury, not quite as good as he was on Friday, and it's something I'm keeping a close eye on for sure. 
Lou Williams had kind of a rough three quarters, but was pretty good in the fourth. Nine points, four assists for the night on, sorry, for the afternoon for Lou. Two of five from the floor, two, one of three from three, and four of four at the free throw line. Good chemistry stuff with, with the Kongwu, as always, with Lou. And, uh, you know, he kind of overcame his afternoon phobia, as we say. Lou has not enjoyed these matinee games, but he actually gave him something that was very valuable in that fourth quarter. I thought Gallo kind of struggled. He had been really hot recently, but this was not his best night. Four points, five rebounds. Did have two steals uh, and an assist, uh, but one of five from the floor, one of four from three, which kind of kind of just out there. And I thought um, they probably should have gone to Collins a little bit earlier in the fourth quarter, as was all of that. But he wasn't he wasn't terrible. But it is a reminder that when Gallo does not make shots, he doesn't give you a whole lot else. And uh, you know, it's something to keep in your back pocket to keep him sort of on a short leash at times if you're Nate McMillan. And then Okongwu was awesome down the stretch, and really the entire game. 16 points, 5 rebounds, and a steal for Okongwu. He was plus 15 at game best, and 22 minutes. He closed, played the whole fourth quarter, and that was the right decision. You know, I'm, as I know Glenn Willis, a friend of the podcast, has talked about this a lot as well. So if I, you know, I think that Capella is still a guy that they have to use and should be starting and all that stuff, but there are times and there are situations and matchups where Okongwu makes a ton of sense, and he was playing great, and it was working. I had no problem with that. At all, I think Nate can sometimes get a little bit too comfortable riding guys too long and bench units too long. And I think I mentioned before, I think Gallinari played for too long, but I wasn't calling for the whole starting lineup to come back in. I was totally fine with Collingwood closing. He was playing great, so they ride with him, especially against a smaller unit for the Lakers, and uh, he was fantastic. Again, four, four, sorry, five dunks in the fourth quarter, and some of that's just you know created by other guys. But the huge one that he had, the uh, you know behind the head highlight reel dunk was just amazing and then defensively he was flying around as well so uh, more positive evidence if you were an Okongwu uh, supporter let's just say and he's very very good and again 21 years old the, the future is very bright for Okongwu and also he showed up to the post game in an Aaron Donald jersey um, saying go Rams uh, obviously he's from Southern California but a little bit of an NFL, NFL flavor for you if you're listening to this game listen to this podcast after those NFL games are played you'll know even more than I do right now but Okongwu was uh, dialed into the NFL stuff as he was uh, leaving the game this evening um, to the starters Kevin Herter was pretty quiet, five points, three assists. The close with Bodanovich, I didn't have a problem with that a ton in this game. He was still pretty good defensively, I thought Herter was, but kind of a quiet offensive night, more of a ball mover than a uh, sort of attacking scorer in this game. DeAndre Hunter was pretty quiet as well, nine points, four rebounds, and two assists. He did a good job on Russell Westbrook, though, especially in the first half. I thought he was kind of walling off on Russ. You know, Russ is a hot and cold guy. He struggled this year. He did have end up with 20 points, 12 assists. It was like he was, like, terrible in this game. But I thought DeAndre did a pretty good job on him when he was, when he was out there. Uh, Capella, I, I, saw some, I saw some Capella slander after the game where I think it's just more like, let's just praise Okongwu. I think Capella actually played pretty well in this game. Uh, Okongwu was better, I'll say that. Um, but it, but certainly it was a good matchup for Okongwu, and I thought Capella was totally fine. I mean, he, he had the one blown layup early in the game, but was six bay from the floor, so you can't really be too upset about 75% shooting. Uh, in the night, also had five blocks of rebounds, nine rebounds overall, uh, three assists, no turnovers. Capella's been really good, by the way. I think it was uh, Kevin Chenard, friend of the podcast, pointed this out the other day. Capella's assist-turnover ratio is like night and day from last year, even when he was playing incredible basketball. He's just not turning the ball over anymore, which is a good, it's sort of a small thing, and the finishing has definitely not been as good this year, but uh, it's a sort of a small tweak to uh, his favor on offense, and I thought he was pretty good on defense as well. Um, to the guys who stood out most in terms of the stat sheet on this night, Collins had 20 points and 11 rebounds, going along with three steals and two assists in 26 minutes. If anything, this is a broken record, but Collins should have had the ball even more. He was someone who was torching the Lakers in the first quarter. He did it again in the third quarter, and they kind of stopped giving him the ball as much, which is a familiar theme. But I thought Collins played well, um, should, have played, should have played more in my mind, and uh, you can't really do much more than 20 points on 13 shots. Obviously, he was really good offensively, and the three steals, um, pretty active defensively. He was plus 10 in the game. And then Trey Young, 36 points to lead all scores on either side, 12 assists for Trey, five rebounds as well. 
did have six turnovers, but five of those in the first half. He was better after halftime. I mentioned sort of the bogged down offense at the end of the game. I think that's partly on Trey, but he also made a couple big shots, so it's going to happen sometimes. You get the ball in your best player's hands. He's going to make plays and kind of pull you out of things, and he did that a couple times. 37 minutes to lead, to lead the team by a lot. In fact, nobody other than Trey played more than 27 minutes. It was a very balanced night, except for Trey played 37, which is totally fine. He's your best player. And then uh, 8 of 12 on twos, 4 of 10 on threes, 8 of 11 at the free throw line, so very, very efficient game as well for Trey. I think defensively he was not as good in this game as he has been a couple nights recently. I don't know if it was the afternoon game or what, but he had it on offense, and then defensively it wasn't like he was like all-time bad, just kind of some, some breakdowns along the way, but still a positive one from Trey in this game. Um, from here, again, the Hawks actually return home. I guess they stay at home to play the Toronto Raptors on Monday evening at State Farm Arena. It's a back-to-back, kind of a weird one in that the Hawks have played this afternoon game. They actually have a scheduled shoot-around on Monday, which is a little bit strange for back-to-back. Normally, you just kind of show up to the arena and play. But the Raptors had Sunday off, so a slight advantage for Toronto in that area. But I will point out that Toronto played a three-overtime game on Saturday, so they'll be pretty gassed from that. They're not great overall, the Raptors, this year, but they're like a 500-ish team. And they are very physical and very athletic. They play kind of small um, in terms of like not playing a center a ton, but they're also very big on the wings. They are number, I think, number two in the league in turnover creation on defense, and they also kill on the opposite glass. So the Hawks are going to have to, have to rebound the ball and protect the ball a lot on Monday. Pretty, a pretty interesting test in this turnaround. Um, for instance, I think the Raptors are better than the Lakers in their current form. If you remove LeBron from the equation, I think the Raptors are definitely a better team. So a little bit better, a little bit bigger test for Atlanta on Monday, but. At the, at the end of the day, the Hawks have won seven games in a row, and they have a chance to get to 500 on Monday faster than even I anticipated. A couple weeks ago, if you're listening to the podcast, I had a mailbag kind of right before this winning streak started, and people were asking me like what I thought about the playoff chance and all that stuff, and I was pretty confident. I, I expressed that, that the Hawks were better than they had been to that point in time, and that I was still picking them to make the playoffs. But not even I would have said they're going to win the next seven games. So uh, they've been really hot. The probabilities of that were pretty low, honestly, if you were a big fan of what the Hawks could do potentially. So they've been riding this wave, and they'll continue to do so. They have a couple more home games this week before they actually head back on the road again. So a long, long time to kind of get your legs fresh and have the bench cook and all that fun stuff. So lots of positives for the Hawks at this point in time. In fact, the standings, as I am recording this, are pretty favorable to Atlanta as well. So uh, a lot going on, a lot of positive stuff for Atlanta. But at this moment, they're the number 10 seed. In the East, after they had been 12 just a few days ago, and they're only at this point, um, you know, they're still five games out of the six seeds. So that's that's a long way to go. But the play-in situation is pretty favorable for Atlanta, dealing with teams like Boston and Toronto, who's ahead of them in standings, by the way, and Charlotte, etc. So interesting stuff on Monday to come. Please subscribe to the podcast. I'll have a new show after the game, uh, after the Hawks Raptors game on Monday evening. It'd be huge if you would pass the show along to somebody else. I actually ran into somebody today that was a big fan of the podcast, so shouts out to everyone that supports the show. But please subscribe. Please tell your friends. Leave five-star ratings, et cetera, et cetera. And we'll see you after the game on Monday.